Um, this Christmas season is well and truly upon us. Uh, it seems like the older you get, the quicker it comes around. Um, and, and, and so it's well and truly here. Uh, it's a time, obviously, to be with family, uh, to be with friends and uh, loved ones. There's there's the whole, all the cliches of Christmas, the twinkling lights, the, the Christmas trees, uh, the mulled wine, the mince pies, the, the Christmas music, the obligatory Christmas movie. Has anybody watched a Christmas movie yet? Uh, quite a few. We've watched about 10. Um, we, um, the, first movie, the first movie I always watch is A Christmas Story. Uh, if you're a child of the 80s, then that is your Christmas movie. Um, um, but yeah, we're saving Home Alone and Die Hard uh, a bit closer to Christmas. Um, we will get there. It's on the list. Uh, but Christmas is this magical time. Often for many people, it's climactic. It's the pinnacle of the calendar. It's the big event of the year. It's the thing that people uh, look to. And uh, talking about big events, I don't know if you came across this story of a church in Mexico who commissioned a giant sculpture of a baby Jesus. I think we've got a a slide of this sculpture of a baby Jesus. It was was 22 feet tall and weighed 2,000 pounds. Um, this, this wonderful sculpture. And uh, it kind of trended on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, um, but it didn't trend for the right reasons because someone realised that this sculpture of baby Jesus actually looked like a young Phil Collins. <laughs> um, uh, some people thought Nicolas Cage, but I, I definitely think it's a young, a young Phil Collins. Christmas is often described as the most wonderful time of the year, but it also can be the most demanding time of the year. And one of the things we've been doing as a church family across all our church locations this Advent season is we've been leaning into uh, this theme, um, which is which is actually a line from one of the carols that we, we sang this evening, Oh Holy Night. And we're leaning into this idea of a thrill of hope. Uh, the, the, the verse goes, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoicing, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. There's no doubt that um, we live in turbulent times. We, we live in uh, a world that's fairly weary. We as a people, as a nation, are weary. Um, many of us on Thursday were so relieved that the word Brexit wasn't mentioned for 24 hours because of the press embargo. Um, But it's weary, isn't it? There's there's a sense of weariness upon us as a people. Some of us may be struggling relationally. Some of us, um, our families may have faced breakdown. Um, Maybe some of us are affected with sickness or uh, uh, addiction or depression. But we're in a time, a season, where it feels weary. The columnist Bernard Levin, he puts it like this. He says, countries like ours are full of people who have all the material comforts they desire, together with uh, such non-material blessings as a happy family. And yet, 
uh, lead lives of quiet and at times noisy desperation. Understanding nothing but the fact that there is a hole inside of them and that however much food and drink they pour into it, however many motor cars and television sets they stuff it with, how many well-balanced children or loyal friends they parade around the edge of it, it aches. And that ache, that weariness of heart is felt right across our nation right now. We all carry a sense of, of weariness. But in the midst of the weariness, in the midst of the, the challenges that we face, there is a glimmer of hope. There is a, a glimmer of hope. And for those of us who profess to call ourselves Christians, to call ourselves people uh, who follow this person, Jesus, we believe there's something that we bring to a weary world. It's that thrill of hope. And that thrill of hope has a name. His name is Jesus Christ. You know, each year we retell the story of the nativity. And, um, you know, there is this sense, this emotional sense that many of us probably have about the nativity story. So most of us have probably been in a nativity story at some stage in our lives with a, you know, a a tea towel on our heads or whatever it may be. But we have this kind of picture in our minds of a baby born in a stable surrounded by animals. The the truth is the picture that most of us hold in our minds probably doesn't bear much similarity to what actually took place uh, on that night. If we think about it for a moment, we, we saw the video at the, the start of our service, but the reality is there's a, a teenage girl who's pregnant, and we're told she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and, and her fiancé um, um, is, is, is worried that she's, she slept with someone else. You know, and there's this sense of disgrace and this sense of what's going on and these complications that are taking place around them. And then her and her her fiancé have to go on this journey 120 miles to his hometown of Bethlehem. How many of you fathers in the room have driven pregnant wives to hospital? It's terrifying, isn't it? Can you imagine sticking your pregnant wife on a donkey and travelling 120 miles. They get to the destination, and he's failed. He's forgot to book the Airbnb. (laughs) And so there's no room anywhere. There's nowhere for them to stay. But most scholars believe they ended up in a cave where animals would find shelter. This was one of the, the worst environments in which to give birth unsanitary, animal mess everywhere, no pain relief, no gas and air. I can't imagine that. No gas and air. I loved it. Um, um, No gas and air. There was no angel softly singing. All there was was a teenage girl screaming in pain in a cave. It was a night of chaos. A night where weariness was taken to its 
extreme. And yet out of the chaos, the other side of that night was a thrill of hope. You see, on the other side of the night was uh, a new and glorious morn. <laughs> a new day would begin, and that new day would include Jesus in it. <laughs> he was born. I want to take us back to the Old Testament, to the book of Lamentations. And in the book of Lamentations, we see Jerusalem, God's chosen people, um, uh, have fallen. They've been taken captivity by a group of people called the Babylonians. If you're interested in the story of that, then go to Second Kings uh, in the Bible, and you can you can read about that. Lamentations is a poetic reflection of of what happened to God's people. You see, all of them are feeling weary, they're mourning, they're, uh, they're, they're aching on the inside. They've been taken captive, taken away from what has been given to them. And, and along with the people, the prophet Jeremiah is mourning as well. He's, he's beginning to lament on the state of God's people. But in chapter 3, there's a switch, there's a turn, if you like, that suddenly these people step into a sense of hope. So I'm just going to read uh, chapter 3, verse 19. I'll pick it up in verse 19. It says this, I remember my afflictions and uh, I'm wondering, the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassion never fails. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope is in him. To the one who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So we have this passage of scripture that was written 600 years uh, before this baby was born. And we see it speaking of a weary people who have been taken captive, who have no sense of direction, no sense of hope. And suddenly there's this glimmer of hope on the horizon. They begin to remind themselves of what hope looks like. And I think we can see some truths in this passage that reveal to us what hope looks like because Jesus has arrived, because this baby has been born, because, because we've stepped into that new morn, because we're stepping, stepping into that new day. This is what, what we can see. And so I just want to look at three truths that weary people need to remember. The first one is this, a new day with Jesus brings exactly what you need. Exactly what you need, but not not what you want, but what you need. You see, those things are slightly different, aren't they? It says in verse 24, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is is my portion. What does, what does that mean? What does that possibly mean? Well, some scholars believe it's referring to the time when the Israelites wandered around the wilderness. 
And what happened was each day God provided bread from heaven, manna from heaven. And, and his provision was exactly enough for that day. Exactly enough for that day. And when they tried to hoard some of the food away, it would rot. See, God was teaching them that they needed him every day. Jesus says something similar in the New Testament when he's teaching his disciples how to pray. He says, if he says, pray like this, give us this day our daily bread. You see, Jesus is our portion. He's our daily portion. Every day we need to connect to him. We are not meant to think that because we had an experience of him yesterday, it's enough for tomorrow. And the truth is, if there's provision for today, then there's always hope for tomorrow. If he provides for us today, if he's our portion today, then there's always hope for tomorrow. See, God's already in tomorrow. He's got everything that you need for tomorrow. The grace for a difficult work situation. The strength for your body. The joy to fight against discouragement. See, every day with Jesus in it brings exactly what we need. That's what we believe. That's the hope we cling on to. A new day with Jesus is the second thing. A new day with Jesus brings the hope to keep going. When we have the thrill of hope in a weary world, we can trust that there's a morning coming out of the chaos of the night. Verse 25 says, The Lord is good to those who hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. The psalmist in Psalm 30 puts it another way. He says, we, Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Rejoicing, happiness, hope comes in the morning. Someone once said, we can live for 40 days without food. We can live eight days without water. We can live for four minutes without oxygen. But we can only live a few seconds without hope. So many people, so many of us are trying to survive a hope-deprived life. A life that has no hope for the future. And because of this, we often put our hope in things that don't deliver. Things that never quite bring what they promise. Never quite reveal to us what it is we're longing for. They never quite tick the box. Maybe we put our hope in our jobs, <laughs> um, but it doesn't quite pay off. Maybe we put our hope in our political system. Um, yeah, uh, maybe we put our hope in relationships, in substances, in money. And wherever we place our hope, we realize it never quite delivers. 
when we put our hope in the wrong places, we become hopeless. When, when the things that we hope in don't deliver what we long for, we become hopeless. We, we lack hope on every level. And we beget, become to be bogged down with the weariness of the world. The writer of Hebrews tells us, let us hold tightly without uh, wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. You see, as, the, as people following Jesus, we, we are to be dealers of hope. We're meant to be people who dispense hope into the world. And so let's not lose the hope that we have in a new day that Jesus brings, in, in the hope that he brings as we step into a new day, into a new dawn, into a new morn. Let's not lose sight of the hope he brings. A little further on in Hebrews, it says this, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the uh, conviction of things not seen. And there's this tension that we live in, isn't it? As, as people who are trying to be dealers of hope, we live with tension. We live in the tension of the things that we hope for and the things that we've not yet seen. And it feels like a paradox to give our assurance to the things that our senses can't, can't, can't sense, can't detect. We can't see it. We can't feel it. We can't smell it. And somehow we're meant to hope in the midst of it. And yet the hope uh, that Jesus brings to keep going is available for us no matter what we see, no matter what we hear, no matter what we feel. The hope that he offers is there. It transcends our circumstances. It goes beyond that. The Apostle Paul, as he wrote to the church in Rome, he said this in Romans 5, we also exult in our tribulations knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance uh, uh, brings about proven character and proven character brings about hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Are you one of those people who often say something like this? I don't want to get my hopes up. Anybody uh, have that phrase in their mind sometimes? I don't want to give my hopes up. If, if, if you are a person who often says that, um, it's likely that we say that because we're afraid of being disappointed. I don't want to build my hopes up in this because I'm just going to be disappointed. It's not, it's not going to deliver again what I'd hoped for. And yet Paul claims that hope does not disappoint. It doesn't disappoint us. Might our fear of that be because we're, we're sometimes hoping for the wrong things, expecting the wrong outcomes? The author Max Lucado, he, he says it this way. Hope is not what you'd expect. 
It is what you would never dream. It is a wild, improbable tale with a pinch me, I'm dreaming ending. Hope is not a granted wish or a favour performed. No, it is greater than that. It is a zany, unpredictable dependence on a God who loves to surprise us out of our socks and be there in a flash to see our reaction. The third thing that we see is a new day with Jesus brings the help that you're seeking. Brings the help that you're seeking. Verse 26 says, it's good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And honestly, there are so many things that change because Jesus entered the world. There's so many things that he made a difference to because of his birth, because of the life that he led. We have a few examples in the New Testament. about a guy called Lazarus who was dead for four days? Everyone has given up hope. In the King James version of the Bible, it says, He stinketh. His body had reached decay. But Jesus comes along and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And everything changed. What was dead was now back to life. See, one day with Jesus in it made a difference between life and death. Maybe some of us, we get to the end of 2019 and it's like we're carrying death in our own bodies. Things have died this year in us and we need new life. We need life to come. Jesus changes things. What about the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years? She's in total agony. And as a result, she's become a social outcast, classed as unclean. The doctors couldn't solve her problems. She spent her entire wealth trying to solve the problem. And then Jesus comes into town. And in a moment, as she reaches out and touches the hem of his garment, Everything changes. Everything's changed. What about the guy who couldn't walk for 38 years? I don't know if you can imagine that, not walking for 38 years. And then Jesus comes along to a swimming pool and everything changes. Everything is changed. We live in a weary world. We live in a world that's weary, and often it feels like there's no hope to be found. There's no hope to be found. There's no change to come. I've tried to hope in what could be, but it's just left me disappointed. But the good news is, Jesus is here. Jesus is here. Romans 13 And verses 11 and 12 says this. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. 
the day is almost here. See, this is the thrill of hope that we have. This is the message we bring to a weary, broken world. The night is nearly over. The night's nearly over. The day is almost here. The day is almost here. And so what I want to to do now is just invite you to stand one more time. um, And I'm going to pray. And and if prayer is new to you, then don't worry. Um, All I'm going to ask you is just close your eyes where you are. No one will... uh, Come and punch you in the stomach or anything if you've got your eyes closed. (laughs) If they do, come and tell me, okay? Um, I'm just going to invite everybody to just just bow their heads and pray. And I really believe that this Christmas, um, that Jesus would love to reveal his hope to us again. That there is... There is space and opportunity to receive the hope that he has. You see, the heart of the Christmas message, the the thrill of hope, hope itself isn't found in the things that we often attach our hope to. It just doesn't, doesn't deliver. The thrill of hope, hope itself is found in a person. And that person we remember at this time entering into our story as a baby. That's how we remember him. But the thing that we also need to remember is he grew up to be a man. He grew to be a man who, who changed everything. He went from town to town to people to people. He, he spoke and demonstrated good news. Good news that there is hope to be found in the weariness of life. There's hope to be found where hearts are broken. There's hope to be found where it feels hopeless. And eventually this Jesus caused so much of a stir amongst the religious types they, they put him on trial and eventually executed him on a cross. But that's where things got more powerful and more profound. And three days later, Jesus rises from the dead. He rises from the dead. And as he is risen, he brings with him hope and life and forgiveness and freedom, that you and I are no longer subject to the things that we carry, the things that bombard us. We find real freedom in those things. And the scriptures, the scriptures tell us if we confess that Jesus is Lord and we believe that God raised him from the dead, then the promise of the scriptures is that we will be saved. We will be saved. 
Or another way of saying that is we will find hope. We'll find freedom. We'll find forgiveness. We will be saved.